Good morning, afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Untitled Art Podcast. My name is Anichka. I do exhibitor services uh, here at Untitled, and this is being recorded live in Miami Beach at the 12th edition. I have a very distinct pleasure of not only introducing these panelists, but also moderating this panel. Uh, I am joined by three incredible women who run three exhibiting galleries here at the fair this year. Gisela Garros of Gisela Projects in Brooklyn, Emily Koster of No Man's Art Gallery in Amsterdam, and Laura Palacios of Chiquita Room in Barcelona. I want to get started uh, to get everyone a little bit more familiar with each of our panelists' voices. And so I ask you, starting with you, Gisela, what are some of the defining characteristics of your platform that is alternative, since the title of this panel is Alternative Platforms to the Brick and Mortar Space? Thank you for having me here. Um, it's so nice to be with other people that are brave enough to do alternative spaces to show art. Um, so Gisela Project started officially two years ago, in the middle of the pandemic, but I've been doing independent shows for 10 years. Some in the living room of my house, some in other people's spaces, partnering you know, with other galleries or renting. Um, there was a gallery in the Lower East Side called Lazy Susan and they would rent out for a few days, so I did a lot of shows there. But Gisela Project, so in the last two years, um, has been a fascinating experience because I've done so many different partnerships. So I represent a team of artists, international artists. Um, I participate in art fairs, which has been nice because I think a few years ago they wouldn't let you apply if you didn't have a program uh, and a physical space. Uh, so I, I've now done five different art fairs and um, one of the things I did this year that was interesting, for instance, is that I did a pop-up during freeze in London, and I don't rent the space, but I offer the person that has the space uh, a commission of my sales. So the risk is smaller for me. That's amazing. Yeah, and they end up making more money than if they were to charge rent. But it's a way for me to not have to pay them if I don't make any money, you know? Yeah, I like that shared risk. You have a lot of collaboration baked into the way that you do these alternative models. Exactly. And at the same time, there was a larger gallery in Sao Paulo, Galeria Estação. They have a beautiful space in a very good location, a place that I wouldn't be able to afford. And between shows, they offered the space for me to take over. I hire a curator. Uh, so it, it has this, uh, it, it's a very interesting exhibition for that big gallery to be showing because they are associated with younger artists and a young curator. I bring my clients to them. They can show off to their clients that they are you know, connected to the up and coming artists. And funnily enough, or interestingly enough, they ended up representing one of the artists that I represent and now I can't show his work anymore. So, you know, there's a little bit of that. Understanding the ecosystem where everybody can benefit from the experience. Okay, we're going to get into that more. Emily, tell me, I know that No Man's Art Gallery has pop-ups all over the world. How do you choose the locations and what made you start doing that as part of the gallery's platform? Right, so we, um, with the No Man's Art Gallery, we have two permanent spaces in Amsterdam. But when we travel abroad, which we do every year, we move the gallery team to another country, another city, um, and set up shop for, uh, well, we, we are there for three months and we open a, a temporary pop-up gallery for a couple of weeks. 
Um, we've been doing that now um, 10 locations, amongst which Mexico, Mexico City, uh, Cape Town, Shanghai, Mumbai, various European cities. And what we've, um, we choose the destinations, I guess, uh, a little randomly in the sense that there's no, there's no global south focus or there's no um, non-Western focus. or it, it really is anything goes. Um, I guess what interests is us is the unknown, not knowing exactly what the culture is like. Uh, or what the art is like that's being made there. And do you have uh, communities or contacts already in these locations before you choose them? Or is this like a total risk-taking mission to get your artists out there? Total risk-taking mission, I would say, yeah. I love. Uh, Yeah, yeah. generally we don't know anyone. We just book our flights and we go there. I have to say, now that we have done it for longer, people are getting to know us and we also get approached or invited to places. Um, so, so it does get easier also with our fair participations worldwide. We kind of know yeah, you're people. growing your list. Yeah. You're growing your audience. I love that. Laura, you, I, what struck me about your program was how community oriented it is with your artists, because you have not only a residency program, but a self publishing. Is that correct? Yeah. I actually started publishing before opening the gallery. Oh my um, gosh. I created a... It's an artist book publishing house, Chiquita Ediciones, that turned into into Chiquita Room five years later. And uh, I come from the communication world. I'm a journalist and um, I'm very sensitive to paper. And I think working with multiples, um, you can make the works more accessible to more people. Absolutely. And do you find with the... I like that sensitive to paper. Do you find that helps to grow your collector base too? Because it's a more accessible way of engaging with the program? Yes, and I think it opens new audiences because, I mean, the market in Barcelona is not that big. It's quite an anecdote, actually. So by working with um, publishing publications and multiples, uh, people get a broader option to collect to start collecting and actually that made possible to start like a soft collecting membership so that they get three pieces of artwork uh, or publications throughout the year in three very special moments like Barcelona Gallery Weekend and also for Christmas and then uh, the International Book Day that it's very much celebrated in Barcelona. Oh my gosh, that's so smart. And when in the timeline of this journey did you open the residency program? When I opened the space. So I start, you know. And what, when did you, like what made you want to open a space and start these new programming initiatives as well? The space itself, because um, I started publishing in 2013. And then in 2018, I found this space. Um, it's very common in this neighborhood in Barcelona to have these kind of spaces that uh, you can run the business downstairs and there's like a mezzanine. So the mezzanine is my apartment and I I live in the gallery actually. And uh, the space itself gave me the idea of um, having an exhibition room and then um, I I wanted to continue, I wanted to keep on publishing. That was like uh, very clear at the beginning. And then there was this room at the end of the gallery that uh, I turned into a bedroom. So there's not a studio to work, but I also collaborate with other spaces in the city to uh, bring these people, these artists that come from abroad, the opportunity to connect with other artists, 
with uh, printers, for example, with um, studios, and make like the network a little bit uh, stronger. I love that, a multifaceted approach. Um, I want to talk more about how these are engaging with potential younger audiences, but before we get into that, what made, what was the impetus or what was the, the drive to try these different aspects of your alternative programming, let's say? Because I don't, I don't love the word alternative. I think that this is becoming more and more common, especially because of trailblazers like yourselves with the programs that you're running all of, over the world, which is so impressive. But what was it? Was it trying to grow your audience? Was it a market decision? So just tell me a little bit about how this all started. Gisela. So for me, uh, it comes both from the fact that I live in New York, so um, rents are prohibitive, uh, but also because I'm from Brazil and a large part of my clients are there and I spend a lot of the year going there. So it's a way for me to attend to all of my clients and, and different realities. And it was really nice to go to London this time because you end up getting the Brazilians that are in London want to make sure to come to my show. And I wonder if they were in Sao Paulo, would it be as interesting? You know, so you play a little bit with that sense of, uh, I'm coming to you. Like, I know you're going to be in Miami this week, so I'm going to be there. Um, the, yeah, so that was one of the things. And I think this, the seasonal aspect of the art world. So in New York specifically, like January, February, July, August are dead months. So if you have a space, you're paying rent, you're paying staff, you're paying electricity, you're paying taxes, you're paying... So to me, it's more interesting to do a show when I have a show to do. And it, makes, it gives me more flexibility. And I think it increases the quality of what I'm showing because I, I'm not obligated to do something just to fill up that space that I'm spending money with. In my experience working with a lot of aspiring collectors, when I introduce them to galleries and their program, it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that there was such a richness unfolding from your careers. It's not just that you have this brick and mortar space. You do all of these things to not only extend your artist practices in different ways from their medium, but also to introduce them to new audiences. And it's nice to hear that that's not always you know, because we're, we're dreaming here or we were just trying to do cool things. It is very practical too, these these decisions. So Emily, on that note, to have such a global program and to be on this risk-taking mission of all of these different cities, did you and Lilan, like, did you have a conversation when you started the gallery? This is what you wanted to do or how did it come about? When I was, um, uh, I started doing these pop-ups when I was only 24 years old and I was still oh studying God. actually. And I was, I was doing semesters abroad and, uh, and it just started as a hobby. I was studying law, so a completely different field. And I started doing these exhibitions just as a hobby. But because I was uh, first in Germany and then in India uh, doing a pop-up, I really noticed the difference in institutional infrastructures in the, art, in the different local art worlds, right? Um, uh, which creates different um, infrastructures for the emerging artists, especially being able to reach the next step in their career. And I thought, what if we can share these local art market circumstances somehow? Um, and so the, the pop-up gallery, the traveling pop-up gallery idea was really born out of that to see if there's any mitigate, like uh, to mitigate any limiting circumstances that the artist may face at home, such as a weak institutional uh, in infrastructure, a lack of funding, um, a lack of a mar market or censorship, um, and to be able to take that artist from their local art market and bring them 
to the next des destination where they might not face the same circumstances. I love that. So you're really serving your artists with your program. And of course, your history is adding to it. I mean, you have experience, it sounds like, well before the gallery started in these different markets. Um, I really kudos to you because that is hard and a logistical moment. I hope to catch one of them. Laura, what was the impetus for you? We know that you found a space of your dreams that really suited your program of a residency, living in the space, having exhibitions. Was there something like that brought you from publishing that you were like, yes, this is the moment. I'm going to start doing these multifaceted approaches of engagement. I think the main objective is to spread the word of um, considering art like a source of knowledge, also a way to connect with others. Uh, for me, art is uh, something that can make us more conscious about who we are, about who we have around, and uh, it's a project based in values. So the idea was maybe because this is like my journalist side that I need to, I make a lot of efforts in communication and um, the idea was to connect with people that weren't so used to art. There's no, I mean, maybe this sounds um, not optimistic, but I don't think we have a strong um, artistic culture in Spain, generally speaking. So the idea was like to open art for people. Like uh, I participate in like educational projects, uh, bringing an artist to a primary school to have a residency there for like the, the whole scholar year. Uh, this is the main mission that uh, I think Chiquitrum has, like uh, understanding that art is for people. I love that. And now you're here in Miami spreading that word, which is <laughs> yeah. so great. Um, getting back to your audiences, I'm sure that you each have, um, a, I mean, it depends on every gallery, of course, but a diverse audience in terms of age and collecting experience. Do you find that these initiatives are speaking more to the younger crowd? Like, are you finding new people and engaging with them with art to sort of, as I say, like indoctrinate them, make them drink the Kool-Aid that we've all drunk of why art is so amazing? How is it going? I mean, especially in New York, Gisela, I'm sure that when you did that piece on the Brooklyn Bridge, you had a lot of maybe Instagram presence and how's it going? Um, yeah, I think we definitely indoctrinate younger people uh, in the sense that it's more approachable. Like I take people sometimes to guided tours in the galleries in Chelsea. And some people will ask me, am I allowed to get into this gallery if I'm not with you? And I'm like, wow, that's how intimidating a gallery can be. So the fact that I'm, a, I'm also an educator, I think really uh, makes younger people or non-collectors to feel comfortable about asking questions and saying, excuse me, can you please explain why this line in a piece of paper is worth this much money? But at the same time, because some of the young artists or emerging artists I represent end up going to bigger galleries, making old school collectors interested in what I'm doing because they want to make sure they get the young artists before the price will triple in a different gallery, you know? So, so I think there's both ends. I think people, when I did a, another art fair uh, in a smaller booth where only projects were showing, I felt like that's where curators go to, you know? So, so it's an interesting place to be in because if people are really, you know, uh, aware of the trends, they will be very curious about projects like ours instead of only going to blue chip, you know, expensive, settled, mainstream artists. 
Yeah, that's sometimes the hard thing is getting the word out there, but it sounds like you've done a good job, which is why such big projects like the piece that you did with New York Summerfest on the bridge was really, you know, it, it probably promoted a lot of awareness. I'm sure you had many people come from that to the gallery or be interested in the gallery's program, right? Yeah, so she's talking about this um, opportunity we had to project artworks onto the Brooklyn Bridge during a summer festival. I mean, it, it's amazing what Instagram can do with things like that because it becomes so Instagrammable. But it, it's not necessarily the people that will become your clients. It's an interesting thing. It's almost like a parallel thing, thing in the digital world that works as a business card and maybe, you know, people who will buy something later or be interested in an artist, they may associate that with some coolness or freshness or sense of, you know, uh, an interesting project more than like people who went to the festival will buy art with me. You know what I mean? I'm convinced that it will happen. It just takes a really long time. Emily, what about you? What kind of audiences are you attracting? We have um, quite a, uh, actually a very broad audience and also a very young one. In the pop-up galleries, we always do plenty of events because we're new to the city. So our opening is also a massive party with 800 people attending every time. And then, and that's a lot of young people who will also just come for the event, right? So, which is great because they do look at the art and they do talk with each other about it. And then in the Netherlands, in, our, in one of our spaces in Amsterdam, we actually also have an, a, a bar. Um, so, so that's great for attracting another crowd. Yeah. Oh my gosh, and what a great revenue <laughs> too for the yeah, model. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's really nice because we have actually a lot of dates taking place, which is perfect because you go up and you go see the exhibitions and then you have something to talk about already, right? Um, and then we just opened a sister gallery also called Juba Art Space, which is, um, it's actually young, uh, run by our younger team. So um, people who do an internship or do uh, uh, work as a gallery assistant, it's very collaboration focused. We give them temporary spaces in the city that we arrange, we guide the full process, but we let them do it, invite their friends, invite their artist friends, you know. And so it's, it's for us a way to stay connected with the younger generation because we are a gallery that's known for the emerging artists, you know, being there with them, but we're getting a bit older ourselves, so we, it's like we need them too. But it's at the same time an, yeah, an amazing learning opportunity for them as well. Oh my gosh, that sounds, you must have such a, how big is your team? Um, we are five at the moment. Yeah, doing uh, the work but, of like 20 it And then there's 40 in the bar. <laughs> 40 in the bar. Gosh, I need to come visit you. <laughs> you should. Laura, you mentioned to me earlier that you're also doing events with the residency. I think residencies are such a great opportunity for people who may not be familiar with art to get to meet the artist, come in, also have a little bit more intimacy with their work in a space that isn't the white walls. How is the residency going? What kind of events are you producing there? Mm, I think a good example, for example, is um, work the residency that Louis Porter, an English artist, uh, did last year. In the he was there for one month and a half, and uh, he turned the gallery into his studio. So he was welcoming people there and uh, opening his process uh, in a very transparent way. And um, the way that uh, you can do that in a city that is quite small compared to Miami, for example, uh, in a very personal and close and direct way, uh, activating every time with like a different excuse that can be, I mean, it can come from the work directly or from a dialogue uh, with, another per with another artist from the city. So people are very open to 
um, connect directly with the artist. And for me, that was one of the main um, ideas that I wanted to share with people because not coming directly from the art world, I, when I started connecting with artists and they, I became their friends, I was like, I mean, people are so curious about this that you should open your studio and your process in a very conscious way. I mean, it's not um, that they become like um, an animation, but uh, that they can be honest about their work in, in, in a context that, is, that feels relaxed, that feels safe and that is uh, open to generate debate and reflection. And with the soft membership program that you run, is it, is it also geared towards a younger audience or do you see sort of all walks of life participating? I'm not sure I understood the question. The membership that you run, mm -hmm. do you see, like how many people do you have? Are they local to Barcelona? Are they throughout the world? Are they younger? They're mostly local. Uh, there are some, yeah, around like uh, 65, between 65 and 70 people right now. And um, I don't know why, but it's true that uh, in this community, there's a lot of people related to architecture because I've done a couple of um, collective projects, uh, city-based, like to talk about urbanism and how the city is shaped, how it affects to our lives. So like regarding to like specific field, that would be something to highlight. Um, people that are younger and that, can't afford to collect like bigger pieces but start this way they also get advantages and special discounts and they can have like um how do you call this in english um fondo de arte like to save to get the piece that they want in the future so the idea is that they can see that in a very um domestic context and uh, i think that's uh, something interesting for them Beautiful. I love it. And I don't think that you are all out here doing this alone. How has, I mean, Gisela, I know that you have collaborated with many of these spaces and you touched on that briefly at the beginning. How, how are you getting support? Who's helping you? Who's, who do you look to for your support? Because this is a really big thing that the three of you are doing in your programs. And so maybe you could speak specifically about how you are engaging with these other galleries that you're working with or how you might negotiate that sharing of risk when it comes to uh, renting a temporary space. Just a little bit about your experience there. Um, again, it's interesting. I was just in my booth now when um, a group from Brazil with other gallerists came over and I was like, oh, that's how I work. And a gallerist immediately was like, I'm interested. So <laughs> what I think is it, it's a lot of network, but also for me, like mid-sized galleries, having a program to fill every six weeks is also a lot. So they want that break. And I have to be very flexible in terms of dates. So I will take August, you know, I will take, you know, open the show on Sunday, close on Tuesday. I'm open to that. So I, I think I come as a solution for their problem too. Not only, uh, so for instance, during an art fair in Sao Paulo, they were already busy with their booth. So they're like, why don't you take over our space during the art fair? Which for me was a dream because, yeah. And I'm like, I can give you a commission. And they're like, no, we don't need a commission. We just want you to take over the space. So I think I have to always be letting people know that I'm open. Some people are very interested and open and others are more, uh, I think, less into the idea of collaboration. They think of you maybe as a threat, you know, or like, who are your artists? But I think... 
most of the time I've had great experiences. And funnily enough, one experience came from the other gallery seeing what I did in another gallery, you know? So the owner of a gallery saw a show and she's like, wait, how did it happen? Why are you not in my space? And I'm like, next month, two months from now? So you kind of have to be, I think, letting people know that you are an octopus, you know, and you grab eight different projects. So that's how I've been rolling. I love to hear that. Emily, how do you find these spaces? Who's supporting you besides your tiny team of five that you're pulling just, this all off with? We're the, we're the tiny team. That's us. Um, we're, we don't get any financial support. Um, our artists sometimes get financial support to travel with us from the Mondrian Foundation. Uh, they've also supported us to be here at Untitled. Um, that's a fantastic funding body in the Netherlands. But our international pop-up program does not get any funding. So it's self-funded from the sales of the arts and, of course, of the drinks on opening night. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, but, but we have a very hardworking team. Um, and a very passionate team. So I think that really helps. The spaces, uh, we basically walk through the city and see cool spaces that seem empty and just figure out who is the owner and, and just approach them directly and ask them if they want to give it to us for free. And, and you, the answer is generally yes. Wow. And so do you and Lilan, are you guys doing like scouting missions to find these spaces? Wait, like in advance? Like, do you know what you're doing next year? Um, I, I know we're going to Athens next year for the pop-up gallery. Um, so Lilan's actually traveling there in February for a little artist studio run. So we start with the artist because once we are connected, we, we always really want to be very connected to the art scene because we work with the emerging artists, right? So that's the most important place for us to be is in the artist studio. So we, when we do these test runs, we go to 60 artist studios um, within a month's time and we just look get to know everyone ask them to recommend us so we don't go through the existing art market structures but we really create our own little no man's land which is a reference of the name no man's art gallery right um, and and from there on we actually build the project I now realize where the name comes from but I also like that it's women owned so it's no man's <laughs> Laura, it seems like you've built such a strong community in Barcelona specifically and that it's very tight-knit. How is the collaborative spirit there and the support that you're getting? Um, I'm a very open person and uh, I think that's visible from the project. So um, I did some collaborations, like for example, a double exhibition with another space. As I'm not seen like as an orthodox gallery, people that are interested in another models um, get interested. So the idea is that these new ways of bringing art to people are connected in the city. The city doesn't have like such a big scene. So it's interesting to feel connected in a way that's not only commercial, that um, supporting the artist and that um, uh, talking about like specific um, issue or project is uh, um, is more important and uh, for example uh, when I get to collaborate and we share resources and we artists also they support their projects in a very committed way so it's we always get farther than if I was doing that alone so I think the community itself is the main support system that gets my project. 
Wow, miracle worker. Before I let you all go back to your booths, I have one last question. Is there something coming up in the future that you can share with us? Either any of you that you would like to share? So the pop-up in Athens, for sure. For sure. Yeah, come over. Um, and then Juba Art Space is doing just this this month, opening two shows in Amsterdam. So that's the, the younger, two younger different groups that we're guiding. Um, and yeah, we're going back to Cape Town. We're invited for the Cape Town Art Fair. We did a Cape Town pop-up gallery in 2013, I think. Um, and now we're back there at the fair also this uh, in February. So we're excited about that as well. Wow. Bringing when a Mexican artist to Cape Town. Who we met during our pop-up in Mexico. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're just, you're just weaving the world. Um, when is Athens? Uh, September, most likely. Yeah, date okay. will be confirmed. And follow us on Instagram at Nomansart to, uh, to, oh. to get your updates. I'm going to try to come. Laura, what about you? What, how many, actually, I also have a question. How many residency artists, like, do you host at, at once? Or is it... Is just it, one. Just I one. I mean, simultaneously, just one. And is uh, it, how long are the, is each residency? It depends. It depends where they come from. It depends how much time they have. Um, it works very well that they come for a first time, like just for a week, that we get to know each other, that we uh, live together, for, that we're roommates <laughs> for a little while. And then we like draw the project, the bigger project, and they can come back and spend more time. And then if the project is an exhibition or a publication, they come for a third or a fourth time when we print or when we open this, the exhibition. So it depends. And it's actually like very tailor-made to our schedule and to our program and to their lives. <laughs> so You are so hands-on. What an amazing experience that is for artists to have, like to be so close to you and have that kind of expertise at their fingertips at all times. It's my favorite part of the work. <laughs> oh, great. I'm glad to hear. Gisela, are you headed back to Brooklyn after this or are you going back to Sao Paulo? Tonight I'm going to Brooklyn if the rain allows me to and I will do my next big project is the fair in São Paulo, SP Arte. So that's, but again, like if you follow on Instagram, you'll see that, you know, every two months I do something. So I, I prefer not to say in advance what I'm going to do because I like to have the flexibility of not having to be stuck to a program, but there's always something, you know. Well, yeah, and it sounds like you'll take an opportunity if it hops up next weekend, exactly. which I'm into. I may do something tomorrow, so stay tuned. <laughs> Thank you so much, the three of you, for joining me. That was an incredible uh, understanding, and you really are trailblazers. So thank you for spending the thank time. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having us.